Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is TTS Thursday number 11 and today's topic is how to pace hilly triathlon bike courses. But before we get into that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration creates electrolyte products that you can use to match your individual sweat sodium concentration rate. So if you're somebody like me that loses a lot of sodium in your sweat, then you can get something stronger like the pH 1500 supplement. But if you're more on the middle or low end of the sodium in sweat spectrum, then you can take their pH 1000 or pH 500 spectrum and then do the math or let Precision Hydration do the math for you by going and getting a free hydration plan on their website precisionhydration.com. You can get 15% off your order of electrolytes with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. All of Roka's products are based around fantastic innovation, design, and technical excellency uh, in order to make you go faster, whether it's in the water or on the bike, or just have more comfort with, uh, for example, your casual day-to-day eyeglasses or sunglasses. So if you're looking for products in any of the aforementioned categories, then look no further than Roka. I can highly recommend them and uh, you can get 20% off with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now on to today's topic and to introduce the topic, I'm going to uh, read a question that I got from a listener called Jesse and this question is what inspired this particular episode. So Jesse writes, hi Michael, I want to send a note to thank you for your excellent podcast which has become my go-to source of triathlon information. I competed at St. George 713 a few weeks ago, and thanks in no small part to your podcast, I finished 11th in my age group and will be returning to St. George in September for the World Championships. I have a couple of questions that I've been pondering, and one, the first one is, how should one pace a hilly bike course in a 7.3 or in an Ironman? I was somewhat satisfied with my bike split at St. George until I looked at my power stats afterwards and realized that I rode at above about 25 watts below my target for normalized power. I was holding my target power or slightly above during the non-downhill portions of the ride, but my average power was very low, about what I usually produce on 5-hour endurance rides. I think perhaps I should have gone harder on the bike. I've seen recommendations from multiple sources that fit age group athletes uh, should pace 7.3 bike rides at 80 to 85% of FTP and Ironman bike rides at 68 to 75% of FTP. I'm assuming this refers to normalized power uh, divided by threshold power. This implies I should be pushing well above the recommended percentage of FTP when I'm actually pedaling considering that there's a lot of downtime with uh, with light or no pedaling on the downhills. But how high is too high? My sense is that going above around FTP, even for a few minutes at a time, would be detrimental to the remainder of the ride and would put a dent in my run. Any guidelines or tips for hilly bike rides? So thank you, uh, Jesse, for your question. It's a great one. And uh, just before answering it, I want to give a recommended additional resource around, around pacing 
uh, the bike leg of a triathlon and that is episode 131 of that triathlon show which was with ryan cooper who is the lead developer and founder of best bike split and somebody who's really good at pacing and modeling so go and check that out we talked about hills and winds and all sorts of things in that episode lots of good stuff in that uh, after you listen to this which uh, will deal particularly with hills and hilly courses of course so just to give you an outline for what we'll cover in uh, the answer here and this episode in general is first how to pace hilly triathlon courses for the 95 to 97% of athletes out there, uh, almost everybody in other words. But then we'll also quickly go into the differences that exist for athletes at the very, very pointy end, including professional athletes. Uh, then we'll discuss the differences that exist between half and full Ironman distances. And we'll discuss how to train for hilly bike courses and practice your pacing strategy, which is an important component of it. So let's start with the, the guidelines and the advice for 95% of athletes out there, at least. Uh, basically, everybody who isn't fighting to be, let's say, in the top 5 or top 10 overall of the amateur categories or pros of course they they would also be in the other five percent uh, so so not i'm not talking about necessarily fighting to be in the top 10 in the age group but to be in the top 10 of all age groupers uh, or all male or all female age groupers at least so whether we're talking 73 or ironman racing we need to keep in mind that not only do you have a long or very long bike ride to do in the case of an Ironman, but you also have a, either a long or a very long run to do following that, as you all know. So efficiency and energy preservation are key aspects of being able to do your best possible triathlon performance and getting from start to finish in the shortest possible time that is the goal of course uh, it is the best possible triathlon not the best possible bike leg of a triathlon so the first very important piece of advice here is that you should have a pacing strategy and you should not let what people around you are doing impact your execution or your pacing strategy you need to be aware that when you have a hilly bike course there will always be people that really smash it up those hills but uh, you shouldn't be worrying about what those people are doing. Uh, focus on what's best for your race. If you have a strategy and you uh, have thought it out thoroughly, you believe in it, then go on and do that. What those other people do doesn't matter. The reality is that most people that ride those hills really aggressively, they probably won't have as good a race overall as they could have had if they had had a better pacing strategy. And uh, this applies not only on hilly courses, of course, it applies anywhere uh, but i think that the effect is exacerbated on hilly courses because you have more of the athletes that just on feel end up going way above their actual capacity when going uphill than you would have on flat roads uh, but again it comes down to you having a very solid plan that you believe in and that you are committed to if you don't then it, it easily end up being a case of chasing all those squirrels around you and, and let go of the notion of pacing Next, for optimal pacing on hilly courses, uh, you should be aware that there should be variation in power or power variability. Uh, keeping a constant power, even if that is possible on a hilly course, it's not the fast way to get around the course. Because essentially, your the way it works is that your aerodynamic drag is dramatically increased at higher speeds. So for example, when you're going downhill or you're going on flat and fast roads, that means that in terms of your speed to power ratio, the increase you get for for increasing your power is much lower 
uh, in at higher speeds than it is at lower speeds. In other words, raise your power by let's say 10% when you're going slow uphill, and you will get a better speed increase than if you raise your power 10% when you're going really fast on on a downhill or on a flat road. So so uphills and into headwinds are are parts of the course where it makes sense to to apply more power to the pedals and then maybe apply less power when you're already having good speed so for example downhills and with tailwinds and on, on really flat roads that being said even though there should be variability in power to have the best possible pacing and get around the course the fastest there also need to be some some guardrails so that you don't blow up and uh, either on the bike nor on the run because you went too hard on the bike so so one the first point here in terms of those guardrails and, and how to pace and this is where we get into the actual pacing strategy and putting some numbers to it is as you suggest a normalized power target for the race is in my opinion a good way to go uh, or it can be a range of course it doesn't have to be a single number uh, but uh, a target range normalized power just quickly for those people not aware is uh, what basically a calculation that allows you to to estimate how hard you would have been riding for in a certain segment or a certain duration if your pacing would have been perfect so when you go out and ride a hilly course let's say you go and ride a one hour hilly course and you ride it pretty hard and your average power was 250 watts but actually on the hills you were doing 300 watts and then on the downhills you were doing 180 watts or something like that then maybe your normalized power was 275 watts or whatever it was and 275 reflects what you could have done what you perhaps could have done in theory could have done if you would have just paced it perfectly evenly on let's say a flat road as an alternative to doing that hilly course so so that's what normalized power is and uh, and for that reason it makes more sense to use it because the course is forces you to go harder on uphills and easier on downhills and technical segments corners and so on so, so normalized power can be really useful for pacing this type of course to make sure that you don't go so hard on the uphills that your normalized power goes through the roof and even though your average power is pretty low you end up actually having done a normalized power let's say at or above your threshold uh, inadvertently so so that's what normalized power is and and how it can can be used well about how it can be used uh, let's talk about that a little bit further it's not just to make sure that you don't go above your threshold for normalized power but depending on the race distance and the race duration that is expected for the individual athlete you can set some specific targets and uh, you mentioned those 80 to 85 percent guidelines that you've seen yes that can be true and we'll get to that a bit later but but i think that you shouldn't just uh, accept that at face value different athletes have different uh, different capabilities and for somebody who is on the slower end and for maybe a more challenging course that will take them a long time to get around maybe 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 80% is way too much for them to also be able to run on the other hand some really fast age groupers 85% will not be enough for them to be competitive in that race so so the range is actually larger and you need to account for the individual there and uh, and that's what well a good coach will do that of course but you can also do it yourself and there are some in my opinion you shouldn't rely on like tables or calculations or rules of thumb in this case 
just go out and simulate the race in some ways like not doing the like as hard a thing as it, as the race of course but doing some workouts that are that are really quite challenging and simulate the race demands and see what you can do for them and if you can do that in a reasonably heavy period of training then when you're tapered for the race then you can probably do the same for racing so if you do let's say three times 30 minutes of your half ironman effort on a hilly course in training and you do that on short recoveries and you end up with an with an average normalized power of 80% of your uh, functional threshold power or ftp that means that your intensity factor is 80% and if you could do that 3 times 30 minutes and you expect your race to be let's say 2 hours 20 minutes then yeah you can probably do 80% for actually if you let's say you did 85% then you can do 85% in the in the race probably but if you do 3 times if you're if you expect your race to last 3 hours then maybe you should do three times 40 minutes as your workout instead and maybe you end up doing 77 percent and uh, and that's probably more of a realistic target for you so basically simulate the the racing training and figure out your target from there so so that's guardrail number one have a normalized power for the race it will vary on the individual and you should set that based on key key workouts that are simulating the race in some way guardrail number two is to have power targets or power caps for the climbing parts of the race and this just like the overall normalized power for the race is dependent on whether you will do the ride in two hours or three hours 20 minutes it will be very different these power caps for the climbing parts will be very different depending on if you're doing a one hour climb on something like a 73 knees or if you're doing some something really punchy that is just two minutes long but quite steep of course the power will be super different for for those so it's all duration dependent but it's also dependent on the number of climbs and the overall race time so if you have a really punchy course and you constantly have these short uphills that are two to five minutes long and and that lasts throughout the race and you expect the race to take you the better part of let's say two hours 50 minutes uh, so so it's a quite long duration to constantly be doing two to five minute climbs if you always go to even though you could go to threshold for a lot of them or above threshold for a lot of them if you always do that then that might probably put too much of a dent into your runtime on the other hand if you expect the the bike ride to last two hours 10 minutes then you could probably go to threshold for most of them and then just recover briefly on downhills and uh, and you will still be able to run if you're really competitive and you want to mix it with uh, with the best maybe you're a pro that that could be your your tactic there so so then the power cap obviously would not be threshold but it would be something above threshold so so the climbs the climbs the individual duration as well as the total duration of climbing will 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 put specific demands on how hard you can you can go as well as your overall race time generally speaking i think you are spot on in your assessment that going above ftp is where you should for the most part draw the line for again for the 95 percent of the athletes out there listening to this sure if you have climbs that are more on the like less than two minutes or two minutes or less then you can do that at above ftp especially if there aren't too many of those climbs in the race course that that can be useful and you can do that no problem uh, but for the most part ftp or perhaps with a five percent margin so up to 105 percent of ftp that would be good to take as a cap for your climbs of course coming back to the example of long climbs like 713 knees uh, which is 
I can't remember how long it is, but but it might last you 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. You you won't go to threshold for that sort of climb in a 73 race. You you will be below threshold. So maybe maybe you're at 80% if you're on the sl- on the mid end, or or 77% if you're on the slower end, or 75% even, or 85 to 90% if you're if you're a pro. Uh, so well 90% if you're a pro for sure uh, even slightly higher could be possible so power cap for the climbing parts of the race uh, that's the second guardrail that you need to have in place and i want to elaborate on that with guardrail number three which is the rpe and to some extent heart rate cap for those really short punchy climbs like let's say two minutes and less and uh, and even one minute and less maybe is even a better example so the, cl- the types of climbs where you do maybe go to threshold or even a fair bit above threshold uh, i don't really think it so yeah let's say above threshold for these climbs i don't think it makes much sense to have a very specific power cap let's say that you only ever go to 110 or 120 percent because let's say you have a 10 second steep bump in the road that will be something very different than a 45 second uh, longer bump in the road so so a better guard rail for these really short climbs is to use your rating of perceived exertion your rpe and your heart rate and rpe is probably the number one of these for that i would simply recommend that for these short climbs let's say one minute and shorter i would i would recommend to not go so hard that you start to feel the muscle burn from acidosis when when going at high intensities so in other words uh, if you are doing uh, a very short 10 second bump in the road, t- road type of climb then you can probably go to 140 percent of ftp and it's totally fine because it's so short that you feel nice and comfy and you don't feel that muscle burn but if the climb is 30 seconds instead and you go at the same 140 percent of ftp then you will start to feel that muscle burn almost uh, without a doubt so that intensity would be too high in my opinion it just shows that you're uh, you're really using a lot of anaerobic power to uh, to go through that climb uh, of course you are doing that for the 10 second climb as well but since the duration is short uh, you, you're not draining that battery and when because the muscle burn is just it's just a delayed sign that you have already started to drain that battery quite a lot so so that's all there is to that and uh, keep in mind as well that you should not just be able to get to the top of the hill but you should be able to keep pedaling to build back speed when the road flattens out or when it starts going downhill as well so you need to to bake that into your your pacing strategy and we'll get to that in a little bit later and and regarding the heart rate uh, this will lag a lot further behind so let's say you have that 30 second climb you might only reach your new temporary peak heart rate further like 32 seconds or 45 seconds after you've already crested that hill but but i would recommend that you pace these climbs these short climbs such that your heart rate doesn't really exceed threshold heart rate by any more than a couple of beats per minute and obviously because heart rate is lagging and you won't notice that until after the fact after you've already done that short climb you can't use heart rate here to pace the hill you already climbed but you can use it to help guide your effort on the next hill now uh, a question that you might be asking is whether you should be using variability index or vi uh, first to explain what vari- variability index is it's a metric that is uh, your normalized power divided by your average power so again i took the example of riding a one hour hilly course with a normalized power of 275 watts indicating that the same effort that you did with variable power would be 
equivalent of doing 275 watts on a like perfectly steady steady effort so let you had 275 watts normalized power 250 watts uh, average power and now i don't i haven't done that calculation so i'm actually going to type here as i'm uh, as i'm recording so that would result in 275 divided by 250 is 1.1 so uh, so a 1.10 variability index or vi and uh, you would you will also find some articles saying for example that uh, for half and full distance triathlon you should be keeping your vi at 1.05 or lower uh, but in my opinion that is not good advice i think variability index depends a lot on the course and uh, and by that i mean a lot a lot so for some courses and for some athletes it also depends on the athlete uh, but for some courses and some athletes 1.10 1.15 might be the correct variability index and for some others it might be 1.01 or 1.02 uh, if the course allows you to still pedal and apply power to a reasonable extent in the non-uphill segments uh, so for example that would be a course where the descents are not technical and not very steep or alternatively they might be very very short so that the time spent descending is quite negligible then vi can be useful uh, at least in post-race analysis but uh, it could be useful in the race as well I've, i'll be perfectly honest i've never used variability index in the race but uh, but why not have it on the bike computer, uh, especially on a bike course with multiple laps? So you could maybe check your variability index after the first lap and see, well, how did you do? And and is there room to, what does that say about how you pace the effort? And does it tell you something that you can maybe try to improve on in the, in the second or third lap? Uh, but the most important thing to keep in mind with variability index is that there is no one right number you and or you and your coach if you have a coach will have to figure out that individually for you and based on on the course but uh, but personally i don't use variability index at all uh, before uh, before the race because essentially you don't need to think about that if you think about normalized power and you also maybe think about average power then you're you're thinking like variability index is just normalized power divided by average power so you don't need to to make it any more complex than that so so again you, you will find articles saying that 1.05 or less is recommended i don't think it has to be that low that low i've done some of my best races where i've been the most competitive with variability indexes of 1.15 and 1.16 on on hilly courses and uh, and it's just been a case of race dynamics dictating how hard you go on uphills and and uh, you need to be trained for that, of course, but uh, but it is absolutely doable. It's it's just a question of whether you have trained for that or not. I think another important aspect of variability index is that it should not necessarily be used to put the brakes on your power going uphill. And by that, I mean, you shouldn't look at your variability index if you are looking at it on your computer and, and think that, ooh, it looks high. I should start to go lower uphill if you have a pacing strategy you don't need you don't use variability index like that to put the brakes on your power going uphill you have other strategies to not go too hard on the uphills uh, but what variability index could be used for in this situation is to identify whether whether you have a high variability index perhaps because you're not really pushing as much as you could on downhill segments or flat segments or tailwind segments so so in, if anything if you're using variability index in real time then maybe reducing your variability from the low end from where you have your power at the lower end sort of spectrum like on downhills and flats with tailwinds 
that's where I think it it might uh, it might be helpful and it might indicate in other words that you're giving up some speed on the course by not applying as much power as you could on those segments but again this is very course dependent some really challenging courses are such that there's little point doing any pedaling on the downhill segments and courses like that sometimes you actually deliberately want to not pedal downhill because it would be of so little benefit in terms of speed so you'd better take some recovery where you can get it because the next thing you know you're going to go uphill again and and be putting out quite a bit of power so variability index uh, my take on it is that well you already have a normalized power and average power in your plan in your race plan so you so i don't think you need to plan for variability index It, it will be taken care of automatically by having plan for normalized and average power and i don't really see it as super useful in real time on races although the one case where it could be useful is again a lapped a looped course where you have several loops and seeing how you do on the first loop and then maybe that can be an indication of perhaps uh, seeing that you haven't really paced the downhill or flat parts of the course appropriately so so that would be that would be the use case maybe for for vi but then in post-race analysis it is useful because it at a glance basically tells you the the ratio between your normalized power and your average power and while there is no right or wrong variability index per se you can compare it with different races you've done or the same race in past years and so on so it is a useful metric to have for post-race analysis all right finally let's talk about maintaining speed and momentum across the race course this is a very important skill to have to maximize the speed over a course and therefore minimize the time you take to get around it and uh, knowing how to apply power to do so. Of course, as we have talked about already, you cannot just focus on maximizing speed without any consideration for energy preservation because then you will not be able to still run well off the bike. But within reason, you can still do some really important things in order to maximize speed without really adding any risk of not being able to uh, to run well or finish the bike well. Just as a really brief background to what I mean when I say maximizing speed and maintaining momentum, let's say you you get to a hill or let's say you get to a u-turn on a course actually you you have probably done a race where you have a u-turn and then you need to come to a very slow speed to uh, to turn around and and then you have to accelerate from almost from scratch to get up, up to speed and you know that it takes you quite a while to get back to the same speed that you were maybe carrying into the u-turn before and uh, and it takes you a lot of power as well to do so so that is a perfect example of momentum and speed not being maintained and of course uh, in a u-turn you don't have much of a situation yes some people take u-turns better than others and can maintain a bit more speed but no Nobody can maintain a lot of speed into a U-turn like like that. Like you, if you come into the U-turn with a 40 kilometers an hour, you still you won't be anywhere near that when you get out of the U-turn, no matter how good you are. And uh, but these sorts of scenarios in less extreme uh, cases, they uh, they happen, they occur in many points in races. And one uh, one particular example is hills and small bumps on in the road, so to say, but also just bigger hills. And when you crest that hill. So, so the first advice that I would give and the most important one is that the pacing up a hill, a lot of people get that backwards. 
a lot of people get to a hill and uh, let's for this example say that it's a fairly short one and they start pedaling really hard and uh, their power spikes up then they notice that okay maybe this was a bit too hard and they gradually let power fall to a lower more sustainable level and uh, and power is declining over the course of that hill so at the end the average power and the rpe and heart rate they're all good and uh, appropriate but because power is at its lowest when you crest that hill it means that you're not getting back up to speed on the flats or or on the flat after that uh, cresting that hill or when the hill turns into uphill turns into downhill very quickly and this is the part where you're losing a lot of time compared to someone who puts in a lot of power just as they crest that hill uh, so you could argue that you shouldn't put in that surge because uh, surges will maybe at the end of the day they will be matches burnt and they will perhaps put a dent in your ability to run and energy conservation is more important and and that's right to some extent but what you can do is to turn the pacing that you just did up that hill on its head instead of starting with a high, with a power spike at the bottom of the hill as you just start to get up it get up it start at the lowest power as you start climbing up the hill and you still have momentum going into that hill maybe coming from the flat or from a downhill and then increase power as you get closer to the top of the hill and reach your max power for the climb as you get to the top of the hill and start pushing to roll down again you have expended the same amount of power in this in the same way essentially only in the reverse order but you have done a much better job at maintaining speed and momentum so that's the most important part about maintaining speed and momentum as it pertains to hilly uh, hilly courses uh, a short tip in addition to this is that for very short but steep hills that you can almost sprint up so we might be talking about those 10 second bumps in the road then maybe stand up and do almost sprint as long as you still keep that rpe advice in check i still don't think that you should uh, you should get acidosis and in your legs but but stand up and maintain a lot of speed by putting more power to the pedal it can often be worth it to do it for these like really short and steep bumps in the road to maintain that momentum and uh, just as long as you keep that rpe rule in check now uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about about how these things might differ at the really pointy end of athletes so pros and maybe uh, the really advanced am advanced amateurs that are fighting for overall amateur podiums or maybe top five or top ten in among the overall uh, age group categories uh, so things do change a little bit for these athletes uh, although many things still remain the same a key difference is that for these athletes at the very competitive end of the spectrum in theory you might say that well if i follow my ideal pacing strategy i will have my fastest race possible and that's all that i can do uh, but really that's not how it works in practice because race dynamics are hugely important especially as uh, long as races keep having the 12 meter draft rule that most races do rather than the 20 meter draft rules that some races do have at least on the pro end but with that 12 meter draft rule and at high speeds in particular you still get a significant drafting benefit from the athlete in front of you which means that race dynamics and being able to stay with a pack is really really critical so athletes racing at this level need to be constantly aware of these race dynamics and might not have their say in exactly how hard to push at any given point for example a bigger athlete may need to push harder than they would like to on uphills as a, a couple of light athletes with a high power to weight ratio ahead might get away otherwise and uh, that bigger athlete just needs to power through if they want to stay with them 
but if they don't then they might actually lose the race there or they might just be at a huge disadvantage by not having that pack to ride with uh, when they get to the top of the hill on the other hand those roles might be completely reversed on the flats the lighter athletes might be at a disadvantage on the flats when the big powerful athlete uh, with a higher power to cda ratio really turn uh, turn the afterburners on and these lighter athletes that are great on the power to weight ratio but not as great on the power to cda curve uh, they need to maybe ride harder than they would have liked to because they still realize the advantage of staying with that big athlete as long as they can can sustain it it doesn't mean that athletes racing for positions at the front always should follow attacks by any means it just means that uh, that you may have to decide on the trade-off between diverting from what you might call your ideal pacing strategy versus diverting from your ideal race dynamics scenario these decisions aren't just about reacting to what happens in the race either because it can be just as well be about being proactive with the race dynamics for example let's say that you are one of those light high power to weight athletes and you're riding in a group of athletes where the others are all bigger than you and you approach a long climb and it's towards the the latter part of the race maybe you should put in a surge for the first few minutes of the climb to try to shake them off of you and then be out of sight out of mind and hope that with your better watts per kg ratio you can increase the gap over the rest of the climb and maybe carry that advantage with you into t2 and have an advantage going out on the run so so that's something to consider as well again in that situation really going surging up the hill is not ideal from a from from a ideal pacing strategy perspective but from a race dynamics perspective it might be just what you need to do to win the race one final consideration is regarding the maintenance of speed maintaining speed and momentum as we just discussed this becomes all the more important in this demographic of athletes you have to be prepared to push when cresting the hill and quickly get up to speed and maybe you do have to make some trade-offs in terms of just how high a power and and even potentially acidosis you go to here uh, because because that becomes such an important factor in being able to stay with the group and but also just riding fast enough to to ride with the fastest uh, if that is your goal in the race because some other people are going to do that they are going to maintain the momentum like like a time trialist would so so you might have to be prepared to do that too basically at this level of racing you have to be prepared to write more checks than we discussed before in terms of you know how much you pay physiologically to for example follow an attack or maintain momentum or a small bump and especially so in 713 racing which at the pointy end is really dynamic but of course you still need to have the fitness to cash those checks so so keep that in mind now let's discuss some differences between half and full ironman racing the main principles that i outlined before they do remain the same the differences that exist between the two distances are just very logical consequences of the ironman being twice the distance of a 7.3 race so to be able to do that sustainably obviously intensity has to be lower in practical terms what this looks like for most athletes is that even if it's a hilly bike ride it should be more evenly paced than an equivalent 713 bike course and you should really really focus on limiting time spent above threshold basically aiming to not exceed it at all and this is a marked difference compared to 713 racing where depending on your level especially you could easily do climbs that are several minutes at higher than threshold intensity but for ironman at most i would say go above threshold for 
those short 10 second bumps in the road where not doing so would cause you to lose a massive amount of momentum and doing so allows you to keep momentum but other than that never go above threshold even with those momentum maintaining scenarios you should also be very careful and have the mindset of not really caring much about what your actual bike split is but only your overall time and be aware that you have a massive potential advantage in the marathon by simply saving energy on the bike and being conservative always remember three minutes slower on the bike might just mean 30 minutes faster on the run in terms of intensity factor targets uh, you mentioned that you read so in the fit age group athletes uh, 7.3 race pace being between 80 to 85 percent ftp and ironman at 68 to 75 percent ftp i already discussed this a little bit uh, that i think that it really depends on how long you're out on the course so the speed that you carry across the race course so that means that for an individual athlete doing two drastically different races like ironman florida versus ironman wales one really really flat and one really really hilly you will have very different intensity factors as well because you might be out there for an hour longer in one than the hour uh, than the other even though you're the same athlete so so that's why these ranges they they really don't make much sense uh, also they should be wider just based on the fact that some uh, some re- really fit athletes can go easily go harder than 85 percent for 70.3 and and also harder than 75 percent for an ironman and uh, conversely some athletes might not be able to reach those ranges you mentioned but that doesn't mean that they're not fit if you can do an ironman you're you're quite fit <laughs> compared to almost anybody so so, so yeah th- those ranges i wouldn't put too much stock in them they can serve as a good starting point but at the end of the day uh, you need to decide depending on the athlete you are the ability you have and the race you're doing and how long it's going to take you to finish finish what the appropriate intensity factor will be and at the end of the day you're going to have to use those benchmark workouts to figure out your pacing strategy uh, that's that's the way to go about it and and i mentioned already the example of uh, th- i think of three times 30 minutes on short recoveries for figuring out your 713 race intensity uh, on for an ironman maybe you do three times one hour on short recoveries at the course simulating the race course and and that could be a good uh, good benchmark workout to see what might be a realistic strategy and if you do those in heavy weeks of training uh, even if you feel that okay this was quite challenging but uh, but if you manage to do it then you can probably do it when you're fully tapered for the race even though we should always be careful the taper isn't going to magically make you a lot fitter but it's going to make a difference uh, so so that's that's how i use those that's why i don't say that you need to go out and ride 180 kilometers to figure out what your ironman race pace is but you can get around get get away with doing three times one hour and maybe you do that at the end of a five-hour ride so so that's there's that uh but then let's move on finally to to how to train for doing hilly bike courses and, and how to practice your pacing strategy and from the principle of specificity it is very clear that if your race course is hilly and you expect that power will be variable over that course then you should also train that way you should train with variable power and and you should train on a hilly course if you can because as great as three times 30 minutes at target 73 race power is generally speaking it's a great workout but for a course that is constantly going up and down uh, you can do that you can make that workout even better by training according to the course demands 
uh, of course the best thing would be to if you have the terrain that is somewhat similar to the race course go out and ride at race effort on that course specifically and adjust and adapt the way you manage the course and pace yourself as you learn more about how you handle this type of riding uh, over the course of your training so so training outdoors in particular on the aspect of maintaining momentum and speed as you crest hills uh, that, that is a really really beneficial thing to do not to mention descending skills and generally technical skills as as well those, those are a couple of other really important things if your race is going to have have those uh, those aspects to them but this might not be possible depending on where you live and the time of year so so if you want to replicate the demands of a hilly race in an indoor workout then it's pretty simple just create a workout that broadly replicates replicates the expected average and normalized power you don't have to overthink it there isn't a right or wrong way to do this the important thing is just to practice power that is, is variable including being able to go to and even above threshold and recover from that if you think that your race will require that and which again will come back to how fit are you what time are you expected to take around the course and so on so as an example let's take that three times 30 minutes workout that we had for a 7.3 benchmark let's break up those 30 minutes so we do one minute at 90 percent of ftp 30 seconds at 110% FTP and one and a half minutes at 70% FTP 10 times. So this would be simulating harder and easier parts of the course and how it is constantly fluctuating. And in 30 minutes, you can get 10 of those sets in. So each set is for three minutes and the average power ends up being 85% of FTP. So it's a challenging workout appropriate for an advanced age group athlete. Other things to think about in training would be to practice riding at the cadences you will be riding in the race. So for example, going uphill at a lower cadence and producing a lot of force if you will be doing that in the race and making sure that you can do that without destroying your legs. And uh, and for training, uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, practicing the fluctuating power, practicing on actual terrain that simulates the race course and practicing cadences. It's, it's not complicated, you just need to be acutely aware that workouts with long intervals at a steady power output that on paper are specific to 7.3 racing, they might not be specific or specific enough depending on your race course. And even if you are very well prepared for that steady type of riding for a 7.3 duration, if you then rock up on race day and you're going uphill at 90 to 110% of FTP and then always recovering in zone 2 on downhills, that is a completely different ride than what you have trained for. Just one more thing, a short one, is to make sure that you have the gearing on your bike to execute your pacing strategy. And in particular for athletes with a lower threshold power, you cannot afford to have your lightest gear be one that is way too hard to be sustainable up the climbs of your goal race uh, i mean actually this applies to any athlete <laughs> equally but but i guess it's a more common problem for athletes with a lower threshold power is what i mean to say uh, so so it so it applies to anybody you you should make should make sure that your lightest gear is light enough that you can go at a sustainable power and cadence uh, up the climbs of your goal race so you need to think about that in advance and if you need to change the gearing of your bike accordingly uh, but yeah if you're doing something like ironman whales ironman knees or something like that then the right gearing can can really be the difference between finishing and not finishing the race so to summarize uh, this episode there should be power variation for optimal pacing around a hilly bike course 
you can have a normalized power target for the hilly race uh, that is a good uh, but also have a power cap for moderate to long climbs so climbs that are a few minutes to an hour or more but also have rpe and heart rate caps for those really short climbs so even though you want to maintain momentum and that is something that's really important make sure that you don't try to not get that acidosis in your legs and get the heart rate to spike too bad uh, stick to your plan and don't care what others are doing especially on hills because they maybe don't know what they're doing for very advanced athletes the individual pacing strategy is always in a bit of a battle with being both reactive and proactive to what happens in the race and what your competitors are doing so the advanced athlete simply needs to have their fitness account fuller because they will be making many more withdrawals from that account 7.3 and Ironman racing are in principle the same for pacing hilly courses uh, because both are at the end of the day very long races but an Ironman becomes much more about energy preservation because gaining two minutes on the bike might mean losing 20 on the run so it pays to be more conservative and err on the side of caution try not to go above threshold at all when training for a hilly race train what you will need to be able to do in the race including variable power output going to or even above threshold if you will be doing that on race day and train your cadences so if you're going to climb at a lower cadence uh, if you will need to be doing that in a race then practice that in training and practice maintaining momentum and quickly getting back up to speed as you crest hills that's it for today's tts first day i hope you enjoyed it and if you did and if you haven't already if you could submit a rating and review for the podcast on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and can rate and review it that would be fantastic on Monday, I have a fantastic interview with Björn Kafka on training, physiology, metabolism, testing, and all sorts of things. Uh, well, I'm biased, so when I say fantastic, but you be the judge, tune in and determine for yourself. But I think it's one that really will uh, will be a hit on this podcast based on uh, based on feedback on previous episodes and the type of interview that that one was. So, so make sure that you don't miss that if you're interested in, in those types of topics. Finally, thank you to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and an estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and get 15% off your electrolyte order with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>